Welcome to JudgeCast. My name is CJ Schrader, level two from Smyrna, Georgia. With me, as always, my beautiful co-host. First off, Jess Dunks. Please say hello. Hello. Cool. Also, Brian Prilliman. Please say hello. 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 On Hello. This very special episode of Judge Cast. We have a very special guest. Blossom. I, I believe the highest level guest we have had as since we've been hosts. You mean excluding Toby? Excluding Toby. He was kind of half on. Level four, <laughs> brand new level four judge, Jared Silva. Yeah. How you doing? Jared, let me start by saying congratulations on level four. I don't know Thank if, very much. I don't know if you know this, but you are actually the first judge I ever met in person. I guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were at the Star City event that I certified at. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm very excited to see that you got upgraded to level four. It's upgraded. Thank you very much. It's it's pretty exciting for me too. Well, what's the term you'd use, Brian? Leveled up. Your level uh, cost was paid. He got, he got the ding. I don't know. He got the All ding. Right. I got, got the ding. He's. So you were, He's one higher. He's he's now allowed his uh 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 his ah, crap. I was gonna make some sort of World of Warcraft purples joke. <laughs> so CJ, you were talking about the first time you met uh Jared, and and uh, I I had seen Jared long before I ever actually met him. Mm-hmm. And this was because when I first started looking into becoming a judge, I checked some awesome. stuff on the website, and the, he's in a video that explains oh, how to yes. become I, a judge. He's wearing oh, Zeke Richards. Wow, I've forgotten about that. Is that still up? It is. Oh, okay, we'll, we'll post a link to that the, show the notes. The video is still up because uh, Wizards does not have access to the site to pull it down. Really? <laughs> yes. That's your... 100% that is up there because of an inability to remove it. <laughs> Two years ago, I got a project. I was part of a project to rewrite those pages. And so me and some other guys, we did a whole rewrite and like shipped it off to Wizards and nope. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Same Jared and Zebra shirt still up there. Oh, great work. Yeah, that one's from, uh, it was a run of videos that, uh, Ingrid Lynn and John Carter kind of oversaw at, uh, Pro Tour Hollywood. So that was uh, a long, long time ago. <laughs> I was a fresh faced young level three first Pro Tour that, uh, I was uh, coming to as a level three. I'd been to Worlds uh, in New York the year before, and that's where I certified. So, well, so you've been you've been a level three then for like more than five, five years. years. Five years. Wow. Yep. And I judged for ten as of uh, as of <clears throat> September. So that was a that was a pretty good month. Uh, as as the RCs, we get to uh, see kind of the the list ahead of time. And say, here are the upcoming anniversaries and pick a couple of people out so that we can do some call outs and, uh, a, uh, a brief bio on a couple of people who are hitting anniversaries. Mm-hmm. And, um, there were some, there were some all stars that I was, I was proud to be named next to. Cool. Yeah. So L3 for five years, huh? And then you get, uh, uh, how, how does it work? How do you get notified or how do you become an L4? Cause that's, it's, it's very different from like levels one, two, and three. Like those are, as I understand it, those, those are all levels that you can kind of get to under, I'll say under your own power, as it were. Well, those, those three levels, in my opinion, are, those are the three levels of judging. Once you, once you get to level four and level five, it's much more about, um, program work and it's about, uh, positions necessary for the program. 
Okay. And, you know, one, two, and three, there's testing procedure. You know what criteria you need to meet in order to become them. But if you're the, the best judge in the world, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be level four or level five. Uh, it's a dedication to, to the program. It's responsibilities that they're going to ask you to take on. And it's, uh, really what the judge program needs at any given time. So at some point, you know, someone made a decision to make you level four. Do you know who makes those decisions? Is there, is there a group that decides this? Is it just everyone level four and up? The senior judges all have, uh, input on it. Mm -hmm. And, um, at the end of the day, I haven't been there when they've been making these decisions. Right. So, uh, it's not something that I, I can really speak to with any sort of authority. Uh, I know that there was, a lot of discussion and they came to the decision that I was going to be able to help the program at level four. And so here I am. That's fantastic. It used to be that a, a level four, each level four, I think we've kind of dropped this program, but we had the pillars and spheres program. Mm-hmm. Do, do There's, there's yeah. some level of that. It's not as structured and uh, we don't have that snappy nickname anymore, mm-hmm. but, um, you, you have kind of areas of influence and areas of the program where you're going to be devoting your time. To start off with, I'm going to be working with uh, Jurgen Baird and uh, Kevin Dupre on the tournament operations side of things. Um, so helping to develop resources for judges about kind of learning how to run better tournaments. And that goes all the way from your Friday Night Magic all the way up to Grand Prix and, and Pro Tours and how to fill all the different roles. And so if you're a new judge and you're going to uh, a Star City Games Open and you've never heard of teams before, we want to make sure that there are resources out there and that they're easily accessible to you to say, all right, what are teams? You know, what are the responsibilities? What are some different takes on them? And, you know, if I'm on paper team, what should I expect to be doing? Uh, considering your your role at, at Star City, as an employee of theirs, I think this is probably a great fit for you. Yeah, I'm, you probably I'm go to more. Really yeah, you probably go to more tournaments than almost anyone, I would imagine. Well, I think my wife would like me to cut back a little bit on those. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. I'm trying to keep them to a, a reasonable, reasonable number now that uh, I've got a nine-month-old daughter. So, so you you mentioned that. How do you? Because presu- uh, being an L4, you know, with that comes more responsibility. Mm-hmm. How do you balance the whole, you know, home judging? Fa- I mean, uh, there's a lot of overlap between your work and your 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 judge life. A lot of overlap there, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, your your home life. I mean, to what degree are you able to keep those those separate? Like basically, how do you how do you do it with a with a wife and a nine month old and now L4? and star city craziness event crazy uh, so right now for for work i'm at about one event per month and that may sound like a lot for some people but that's actually a, a drastic cutback for me um yeah and so that's not counting grand prix uh like i'm going to grand prix philadelphia this weekend where i'm going to be uh lucky enough to be head judging alongside uh chris richter and, uh, we're, we're thinking it's going to be, uh, going to be big. So it's going to be fun, but the balance has to come, you know, when, when I'm here and when I'm home, I've got to be home. 
And so I've, I've tried to kind of cut back on the amount of work that I do, uh, at home during waking hours. And so, uh, there's a fair amount of, you know, the, my daughter and my wife go to bed and I stay up and do some, some judge stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, when my daughter goes down for a nap on the days that I'm staying home with her, uh, that's when I can kind of fit things in. But, um, it's, it's about balancing and prioritizing and making sure that, uh, you're looking ahead and scheduling in a way that's going to, you know, fit with what you want to do. And what's your daughter's name? Liliana. That's a true magic fan right there. <laughs> did you, did you have to fight your wife for that or was it, oh, okay, sure, so, Liliana. So my wife is actually here right now and, uh, I, I would like to get some on the record confirmation that, uh, that she was the one who actually came up with Lillian. Let's do it. Uh, as a, uh, as the, as a name for our daughter. And then I was the one who kind of pushed it a little bit toward <laughs> Liliana, giving her full, full disclosure that it was a storyline character from Magic. Yes, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. And now it'll be on the internet for forever. <laughs> All right, no more, no more uh, take backs on that. That's good. <laughs> so actually, the the funny story is that the other name that we were uh, contemplating was actually Talia, and this was prior to the release of Dark Ascension and the release of any spoilers for Dark Ascension. So we had no idea that that was going to be a name of a storyline character in Magic. So we were pretty much stuck with it either way. That's funny. Um, but one way we would have been prescient. So I mean, <laughs> this way it looked like kind of bigger geeks. <laughs> I, was, I was almost just when he was telling that story. I was like, we were actually going with you know like Karn or Rasta. something like that. <laughs> we really thought Rasta would be a great name or Tommyo. <laughs> cool. So um, one of the questions that we were going to ask, yeah, um, that we don't. We're not, we're not going to ask anymore was, you know, are you going to continue to be an RC? So, uh, so that, that question was answered, I think. Yes, it was <laughs> answered this morning. It was answered this morning. Yep. So, uh, I'm actually, I'm really excited. Uh, Nicholas Sabin is going to be taking over as the RC for the mid Atlantic region. And, um, I've worked with him for over five years now at Star City Games. We were actually hired at the same time and, uh, it's, been a pleasure you know uh, honestly what uh, whatever there is at star city games we built together and you know we don't always agree on everything but we both absolutely agree on the basic principles that we want to make sure that the open series is great for players and great for judges and you know we've been in lockstep on that and i think he's going to do a great job as the mid-atlantic rc really excited to see what he's going to be doing when I was driving into work this morning, and these are the lame things I think about, I was like, if Jared steps down as regional coordinator, because that's, that's exactly what Chris Richter did when he became level four, so I assumed it was probably going to happen. I was like, I wonder who would replace him. And then I was like, my best guess would be Nicholas Saban, because he seems like just perfect, a perfect fit yeah, for it. Yeah, community is extraordinarily important to Nicholas, and the RC position has been something that, you know, were he somewhere else, he would have slotted into uh, you know, a while back, but, you know, I got involved with the regional coordinator program mm-hmm. from the get go in the U S and so you know, there's just, there wasn't that window until now. <clears throat> and, uh, so it's, uh, it's going to be something that I'm really excited to see what he does with the position. Nicholas was the second judge I ever met. 
<laughs> so just keep that in mind. And, Who was the third one? Because uh, I want to know the next RCs. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it was a group of people at a, at a seminar Nicholas was ha- ha- holding, and I don't remember any of their names. I, they may have been people I met a bunch of times afterwards. I'm not sure. But as soon as right. they become an RC, he's going to remember that they were the next yeah, judge. I will be the third person, regardless of whether they were or not. That's gonna, he'll just add them to the list. I did you know, say Ricky Hayashi was the third person I met. <laughs> you know, I, I actually think that Jared was the first judge that I ever interacted with. Cause like, I just, they, they had like a 5k coming to Orlando and yep. I just sent an email where I'm like, hey, can I's work event? I have no XP lulls. <laughs> And, <laughs> and he's and you just, probably talked with Nicholas, but I might have I might have sent the email over to him. Well, <laughs> I well I didn't say that. I tried to be a little bit more professional, but uh, uh, the response back was yes. Here's a brand new level two named Michael Fortino to work with. <laughs> and uh, so that was the one at the Orange County Convention Center. Ingrid yes. Lynn is yes. the head judge. Yes, it was. Yeah. Wow. 439 players. That was fun. It was way down the what? other end of the convention center. How do you remember the exact Just number? Just blew me away. Well, I guess because none of us will check up well, on it. Well, I don't it. know if it was more 400. This is why he's level four. Wow. <laughs> he wants – No, that's, 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 that's actually back when we only had like 10 open series a year, so it wasn't that hard to remember all that. <laughs> uh, he so, once sat down and listed every level two in the southeast. I remember that. Or in his entire region, which was bigger than the southeast at that time. That was uh, that was back before Turner hopped in and, and right. carved out his own territory. <laughs> now, before we move to, away from regional coordinators, yep. I, I just want to give congratulations to Ricky Hayashi, who former, co- former host of JudgeCast. He is moving out to, I believe he said Portland, and he is going to be regional coordinator of the Northwest. So that's yep. another. He will be. He's he and Tasha are both planning to move to Portland after she graduates next spring, and uh, they're planning to move out sometime over the summer. But uh, uh, Ricky was approached by Andy about kind of preemptively taking on the Northwest RC role, mm-hmm. and you know we're going to do everything that we can in Star City Games to make sure that he's getting opportunities to to get out there for events. And that he's able to get out and interact with people. And I know that Ricky's going to be uh, pretty proactive about making sure that he's out there for Grand Prix and he's working with Tim Shields. He's really excited. Uh, he's always had a great, he's had a great relationship with Tim, really enjoyed all of the events that he's gone to with him. And so that's going to be a, a blast for him. Kind of building communities has always been something that has been really big for Ricky. Finding those judges who are able to, uh, you know, not just affect one judge, but affect a judge who's then going to go on and, uh, build up the rest of the community. And so he's, he's got some ideas and he's definitely going to be reaching out to people out there to, to make sure that that community is coming together and, and growing and expanding and getting all sorts of opportunities. So yeah, I'm, I'm sad Ricky's leaving the eastern coast, but then again, he flies around so much that it's probably not going to be a. I probably won't notice a difference at all. Oh, no. We'll drag him back out here. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just flights leaving from a different airport. Really, is yeah, all it is. All it is. So so Ricky Ricky was approached, um, and then I, Saban was approached when you left. How were you approached? For L4, like, did you did you know it was coming? Was it a surprise? Did you have indications, but wasn't certain? What's 
So level four has been something that's been somewhat on my radar for a while. Uh, um, it's not something that I've ever, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. It's not something that I've ever gone and asked for. Um, my feeling on, on level four and five is very much that, you know, it will be something that is offered to you and you can, when that's how you can best serve the program. Um, but it's certainly been something that, uh, we just, and I've had discussions with Andy about level four and even some stuff, somewhat in general about kind of the diminishing ranks of level four and the growing ranks of Grand Prix, which mm-hmm. they're supposed to head judge. And those numbers seem to be moving in, in opposite directions. And so we've kind of stemmed that a little bit with me adding on to the, the ranks of the level fours. But simply math dictated that there had to be a few more level fours or else we're just going to, we're going to lose people. <laughs> yeah. Nutrition. You, uh, and you mentioned there that level fours and fives presumably can head judge a GP. Do you know, or can you list other things that like, what's, the difference between a level four and a level three, you know, what can a level four do that a level three can't? Why? What? So the major things that are different between level three and level four, the one thing that everyone can point to is the head judging of Grand Prix. Uh, that's, in my opinion, both a, it's something that is expected out of uh, a level four. You have to be ready, willing, and able to head judge and coordinate a large staff for a Grand Prix. Uh, but that's also kind of a recognition of the work that they're doing for the program. Those opportunities to travel, those opportunities to work with, with judges from all over the world and to kind of go out and talk to, to the level threes and the level twos and, you know, help to, to build up those areas. That's, that's part of a recognition for the work that they do. And so a lot of the difference between a level three and a level four is in terms of the scope of their work. Level threes often are, are may even head up projects, but level fours are expected to oversee portions of the program and to be kind of the architects of, of what is going on in that area of the program rather than just the people who are, who are driving one specific towards one specific goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a responsibility thing. It's, uh, a, um, it, it's also, you know, you're not going to see somebody jump from level two to level four. You know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, skill recognition that goes into it, but a lot of it is about what you are doing for the program, not necessarily what you are doing on the floor of an event. So they want to, they want to take somebody, you know, when they, when they put somebody in these positions, what you're saying is that they want to take somebody who's already doing a lot for the program to put them mm-hmm. into positions doing a lot for the program. That makes, that makes absolutely absolute sense. And, and honestly, it's in that way, it's not that much different than, you know, level one, two, and three, uh, specifically level two and three, I see as much more recognitions of where you are rather than any sort of elevation. You know, you don't see many people making level two who aren't doing what level twos do. Mm. You know, they just happen to be level one and haven't passed the exam and haven't been recognized as, you know, advancing yet. And so officially the advancement comes on the test, but all, a lot of that work and, you know, most of the development that goes into becoming level two happens before that. Same thing with level three. You know, if, if someone comes into the process and isn't already doing 
what is expected out of a level three, they don't have a, a huge chance of success. You know, you need to be going out and building communities and, you know, finding other judges and coordinating them and, you know, stepping up to, you know, help develop other judges and provide resources for other judges. And if you're not doing those things, it's, it's unlikely that you'll, you'll wind up at level three. But if you are doing those things, obviously it's going to take a little bit of time for that to kind of sink into the program and for you to get recognized for that. So is, uh, changing gears a little bit here with this question, um, is you being level four going to have any effect on what you do or can do in your position with Star City Games? I don't believe so. Uh, it's, it's going to dictate my schedule a little bit more. As okay. regional coordinator, uh, I had four Grand Prix to get to, and it was very, uh, about four Grand Prix to get to per year, the ones that were in my region. And, you know, you lay out the schedule at the beginning of the year or, you know, it kind of comes out as it goes and I can see where they are way ahead. Um, as level four, I'm expecting to be involved in head judging Grand Prix. And so I'm not going to necessarily be able to just look at a schedule and say, oh, well, Philadelphia is in my region and, you know, Nashville is in my region and Baltimore is in my region. So I'm going to go to those. You know, I, I am, I happen to be, uh, the second head judge for Philadelphia, uh, next weekend. That came in large part due to my position as regional coordinator, but next year I don't expect that I'll be, I'll be driving to many of the GPs that I'm head judging. How did you get started with Star City Games? Uh, so I worked with Your Move Games up in Massachusetts. That was actually where I came into judging way, way back at the Onslaught pre-release. But I worked with uh, a judge named Matt Viamano who was actually the events manager for Star City Games when they posted the position that Nicholas and I applied for. And so I was actually working at Your Move Games at that point in time, and I saw the job posting, and I was thinking about posting for it, and Matt actually got in touch with me and said, hey, I think you'd be a good fit for this. I really hope you apply. Uh, and so I had my I had my interview at uh, the Notorious Grand Prix Fitchburg, which was the two-headed giant Grand Prix <laughs> That was out outside of Boston. Two-headed giant Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I luckily, I luckily ran the overnights, but that's also the, the Grand Prix where the clock was stolen on the overnights. (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) So it was, and, and this is a pretty funny story, except for the fact that we don't find the clock, but (laughs) it was April Fool's Day. And Mm -hmm. so like they left the clock and by the way, all of the product on, on the floor at the complete other end of the hall from the public event stage where I was running things from. And any of you who've been to Grand Prix know that the clock goes into what's called seizure mode, which is where it's just flashing really quick. Right. That's what it was in all night long. And so whenever we would look, be looking at anything that had us looking down the hall, the clock would be there just buzzing. And so at some point the clock stopped being there. And we didn't notice because it just meant that our head didn't hurt as much. <laughs> but in the morning, we had cleaned everything up. We, you know, set everything up. We'd set up table numbers. Like everything looked perfect. And so Sheldon walks back in and we're like, yeah, this place looks spotless. It looks great. And the first thing he does is he looks to the left, looks to the right and goes, where's the clock? <laughs> and like my heart just drops. I'm like, son of a, like not only like, 
is the clock not there? But like all of the work is just completely irrelevant. Like it doesn't matter how good the place looks if something's gone. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so someone apparently took the clock. They didn't take the power brick to make the clock work. They didn't take the stand that the clock goes on. They just took the clock. And so as we're like running around looking for it, because we think, oh, somebody probably just took it and put it somewhere because it's April Fool's Day. We figure out that the door to the roof is open. And so like all you have to do is like walk through this door, which is open and then up some stairs, which there's nothing stopping you from doing. And then open a hatch onto the roof, which is open and unlocked. And we're like, okay, it's got to be up on the roof. Like, if it was April Fool's Day and you were trying to come up with something to do with a clock, Mm. what better thing to do than to put it up on the roof, right? Yeah. It wasn't up on the roof. So whoever did this was not remotely creative. (laughs) Oh, it's weird. But it was apparently a successful interview. And I got (laughs) (laughs) And so I got to fly down to uh, Roanoke, Virginia, where the, um, where the headquarters is. And I got to, I was, going to go and have an interview with Pete, who's the uh, the president of the company. And so I'm flying down and I'm supposed to get picked up from the airport and I land and I'm waiting for, uh, for one of the employees who's supposed to pick me up. And I don't have that employee's cell phone number. The only person's cell phone number that I have is Matt's. So I'm calling it over and over again and I'm not getting an answer. So I'm at the airport and I landed at like 1015 or something like that. And it's like, 1230 and nobody's come to pick me up mm-hmm. and I don't know Roanoke at all. And so I decide, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to walk to the hotel. Like I can see where the hotel is. Problem is the hotel is on the other side of the highway <laughs> and uh, the walk there doesn't, doesn't really have sidewalks or anything along those lines. So it was about a 25, 30 minute walk that included me accidentally walking down an on-ramp. Um <laughs> And so the next morning I get a panicked call from Matt because he left his cell phone in his car overnight. Mm-hmm. And uh Chad, who's the guy who was supposed to pick me up, calls me at 3 a.m. and is like, man, I completely forgot. And by this point, I've gotten a hotel room and I'm sleeping. And I'm like, you know, OK, I'll I'll just get picked up in the morning. It's fine. Uh, and so apparently my resourcefulness in finding a hotel after landing in a strange city was uh, a positive mark on my record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it shows resourcefulness and yeah, wanting to sleep <laughs> in a bed as opposed to that was a yeah, wild I, story. Yep. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was about to get kicked out of the airport because it's not like it's, you know, it's, it's no O'Hare. You know, it doesn't run overnight. I've actually been to that airport and, uh, everyone was so nice to us and just, it was very friendly the one time I was all, there. All five gates are, yeah. uh, you can, you can stand in one place and see all five gates. Yeah, it's fantastic. Wow. So I, I wanted to say something like, um, I don't, I don't know how old you were when you started judging, Jared. Uh, I was you mentioned 23. You're 23. Okay. Yep. Um, that was, a, that was officially, I've been running tournaments since I was in high school. But you but said it was the I, onslaught pre-release, right? Yeah, onslaught pre-release was when I certified to be a judge. Actually, Toby Elliott certified me. It was at Pro Tour Boston. Okay. Because the, the reason I, I was surprised at this is because you don't when, – when I see you or pictures of you, I don't think you look that much older than me. But <laughs> when I when – I, when I remember the onslaught pre-release, I remember having to sneak out of the house to take a road trip uh, <laughs> to get there. No, because I was out of college. Because <laughs> I, I, I was, uh, I was, had just turned 16 at the time. 
And, uh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, I'd been out of college and at work for four years for the onslaught pre-release. I was in a, I could rent a car. So when, uh, when I think about, you know, the, how old magic is and, uh, some of the stuff that I've done with the judge program, the thing that really kind of hit home was when I certified somebody who was younger than the game. <laughs> like that was one of the times that it was like, all right, like something's weird. We've, we, we've passed, <laughs> we've passed by just kind of the, this is something that's a fad. And you know, when you're, when you've got people who are younger than your game, who are interested enough in it that they really want to be involved in running it, that's something that's really special. And right. you know, it's, it, that's one of the things that I think is a great indication of just how uh, amazing a game magic is and how amazing a community it is that you know, all these people from all these different backgrounds, all these different ages want to be a part of it. Oh, Jared, at a, at uh LA at SCG LA I was hanging mm-hmm. out with uh uh Karina yep. and and I was sitting there and I was looking and I and I bought a a Diamond Valley off the the vendor and I told Karina I was like yeah I used to have one of these back when I was a kid but I had to <laughs> but I had to sell it to pay for parking tickets when I was in college <laughs> and she just says like she says when I was a kid I didn't have a car how old were you <laughs> and I, and I was like I was like 20 21 and Karina's like I just turned 20 and I was like yep you're a kid I mean <laughs> it's just this realization that I was uh, I was just thinking back at just how like I was a stupid little kid when I was 20 and the person that I'm with talking to is the same same age uh, so one of the things that uh, I think is is amazing and that I, I constantly have to kind of remind myself and, and other people of is how many judges are doing really great work at an age where when you think back to it, like you're, you're not the same person that you were at that point. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of desire to kind of find, find the people who are doing really good things and just heap a bunch of responsibility onto them. And I, I'm always wary of that to some degree because I don't want to burn people out. I want to make sure that they're involved to the the degree that they want to be involved in and that they have opportunities to do more. But especially with some of those really enthusiastic, really strong and up and coming judges who are in that, you know, 18 to 22 range, like throwing a whole bunch of responsibility at them at that point may not be what they want out of the program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can do great work and you don't need to be a level three. I mean, I know a ton of level twos who do amazing things that, and you know, some of them are moving towards level three and you know, that's great, but there are others who, you know, are really happy with what they're doing right now. And I'm excited to see that as well. And, you know, that doesn't mean that they're not going to start moving towards level three in the future or that, you know, that they are. You know, but either one of those is, is great. And it's really about, you know, can you do the things that you want to do? And a lot of people, you know, can do them at level two. And that's something that I think gets missed a lot. It's great. I have, I have one last question for you. It's very important. If, <laughs> if you could have any keyworded ability in magic as if you could have that ability on yourself, 
What would it be? Keyworded ability. Mm-hmm. And I will include indestructible and, unblock- and unblockable here. You know, they are not technically keyworded <laughs> abilities. They're they're just words. They're just words. You just des- describe things. Yes. Uh, hexproof. I'll hexproof. take hexproof. But no magic exists in in real life, so nothing could ever target you anyway. No magic that we know of. Huh? Jared probably he gets a level four. See, this is that this is the special, you know, <laughs> level four knowledge that uh, that Jared can't talk about. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, just being able to kind of know what's coming down the pipe and and have some control of what's coming at you seems like it would be a pretty good power to have. Oh, subscribe. <laughs> speaking speaking of no, knowing what's coming down down the the pike. Have you, do you, or have you, you're going to need to sign like a non-disclosure agreement with Wizards? I, honestly, I, as a TO and as a regional coordinator, I've, I've already put a few on file, uh, oh. for some of the, some of the meetings that I've gone to. But yes, I expect that that will be part of the process that is, is kind of in, in process right now. So, so you're going to even be, sell more of your soul. <laughs> uh, I suppose you can look at it. <laughs> so, uh, I, I also have one, one last question. This is, sure. Jared, do you wear colored contact lenses? I do not. Oh, what's that? It's a good question. Cause his eyes are so blue. They're like this piercing burn into your soul. That's, that's how, that's, that's, that's how you do an investigation because you can just look at him and like he like sears into your and he can tell he knows what he knows all your secrets. He's like the children of the corn. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, my daughter's eyes are even bluer, so oh. it's uh it's a dangerous trait and apparently it's hereditary. <laughs> like years and years and years and years from now, like everyone's gonna be blue eyed. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> So moving on from level four type talk, Brian, you had a public service announcement you wanted to make. I I, I do, and this is recently. There's been there's been a few um, high profile incidences um, uh, with within the magic community, and I just want to remind all judges to not publicly discuss. DQ investigations, whether it's just broadcasting, hey, I saw this, or, you know, there was a, a, a DQ at a recent event, and let's talk to a bunch of players about what's going on. It's, it's fine to discuss the policy in the terms of, you know, how could, um, Clarifying points, like when a player has questions as to, I didn't know that X was illegal, you know, discussions like that, great, fine, go ahead and answer it, explain it to the, to the, to the best of your ability, but getting involved, speculating on what happened, giving your side of the story, any of that, or, you know, just publicly like blasting somebody, uh, for doing something. Don't do any of that. Just just exercise some decorum. Realize there's an ongoing investigation. You're not helping anybody. Uh, you're actually probably hurting things. So just calm down. <laughs> one one thing that I would add on that is that a lot of times it can feel like this is tying your hands in terms of being able to respond to stuff that is bouncing around. And one of the things that I've uh, I've taken to doing is saying simply guys you really don't have the full story you know there's 
there's more information out there than you're taking into account. And, you know, I can't talk more on it, but speculating is really not helping anything. You know, the investigations committee is going to look into it. They're going to get all sides of the story and they're going to come to a decision. But talking about it in public, talking about it to players really is is not going to is not going to help anything. Uh, if you do have questions about anything along those lines, you know, it is fine to go to another judge and say, hey, I had a disqualification where I came down on the side of disqualification, but I'm thinking about some things and I'm I, I'm not sure whether I should have, and I really want to kind of bounce it off somebody, bounce it off, you know, a judge that you know. That's that's fine as long as you're keeping it from kind of broadcasting out into public. Mm-hmm. You're not going to you're not going to help an investigation by giving it more publicity, but you're also not going to hurt one by talking to somebody that you know and trust about, hey, could I have done something better? Hey, I don't understand this. I'm not sure. You know, can you explain it to me? That's good. Also on like Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that, there's a lot of people who they have the opinion that they have is the opinion that they're always going to have and no amount of discussion or pointing things out is going to do is going to change anybody's mind. So uh, you can always direct them to uh, now. This is an interesting thing because uh, as somebody who's involved in the open series where we broadcast, uh, there are times when people who are watching uh, will catch something on Twitter and on Facebook. They'll kind of be posting on it. And if that can come through directly to the TO, uh, that can be something that's passed along to the head judge to take under consideration. But if it's just being broadcast out into the world, it's not really helping. So uh, direct email, uh, if it's a Star City Games thing, events at starcitygames.com is a good email address to hit. But just a, a, a an email with some basics is is fine. Uh, we're not saying look the other way. You know, we're just saying try and use the right channels. Great. Cool. Wow. We talked about that more than I expected. Unfortunately, I don't have a clever segue for this, but we have a correction to make from last episode. Uh-oh. Let me let me take my lashes here. So this correction came from both Gareth Tanner and Jeffrey Dyer. Gareth pointed it out first, so I will just read what he wrote to us. He says, I've just listened to episode 50 of the cast. Was a good cast as always, but I do have a slight disagreement with you. <laughs> I like he says slight disagreement. We were straight up wrong. Slight wrong. <laughs> uh, with your Gogar decoy and deadly allure example in the cast. You said that if a decoy had deadly allure cast on it, the four bear cubs the opponent controlled would be forced to block that decoy. However, deadly allure says that the creature must be blocked if able. Not all creatures must block it. So one bear cub needs to block the deadly allured creature, but the other three creatures can block either decoy. At this point, you will be matching five requirements. The allured decoy is being blocked, and each cub is being blocked is blocking a decoy, and four being broken make the blocks as legal as it can be. I have to admit, I made a mistake on this one. I was looking, I was actually double checking the text of the card lore to make sure it worked how I thought. I saw deadly allure in my search, and deadly allure, and I saw that it had something to do with the word block. And I kind of just stopped there, and I made the classic mistake of not reading the card fully. Yeah. So and to then, always read the friendly yeah. card. Yeah. Read the show. And I doubly knew because I knew the question that CJ wanted to ask, 
because that's that's actually a question that we've had go around in in our group mm-hmm. uh, uh, a while back. So when I heard the word lure and the cards that he was using, because you were using what prized unicorn? I was using uh, Golgari decoy, which is the Go, new, yeah, new one. See, I was like deadly lure. Oh, that's like a modern lure, so right. I can. It's standard legal. That's more relevant. So I heard I heard the question that CJ was intending to ask instead of the question he was actually asking. It's just like when you read the card and you 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 read what you want it to say instead of what it does. So yes, we made a Yeah, like Bone Splinters was an instant for a while until I actually read the card. <laughs> I I'm, I'm I did that with Oath Trail. Like, yeah, Oath Trail was oh wait. <laughs> oh that no. card's not as good as that. still really good. Not as good. So to be very clear about the difference here, Deadly Allure says that a creature must be blocked if able. Lure says that a creature must be blocked by all creatures if able. The difference there is deadly lore only creates one requirement, you know, for the, if, if the opponent has four bear cubs, it, of course, it just creates a requirement that it must be blocked by any of them. Lore, the card I was going for, has the same text as Golgar Decoy saying that it has to be blocked by as many creatures as able. That's the question I was trying to ask. Whoops. Thank you, Gareth and Jeffrey for correcting us. Yep. Us judges, we do occasionally make mistakes. It happens. Uh, in fact, they recently updated a section of the IPG to tell us what to do to handle the fact that if a judge actually tells you to do something incorrectly. Don't turn this into a learning experience, Brian. Oh, okay. We'll talk about that next no, time. No, no, no. Talk about it. Talk about it now. Go. <laughs> All right. So if um, you you have the ability to – you know, it's actually in the IPG now that judges are human and make mistakes – before we were not human, <laughs> although we still made mistakes, so they put this in here. Um, so if a judge does make a mistake, we should own up to it, sort of like what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can fix it, we should. However, if a judge gives a player bad information that causes them to violate a game rule or, or something along those lines, uh, or draw an extra card as a result of something that a judge tells you to do, the head judge has the ability to downgrade the penalty without it being considered a, a, a deviation. So, Perfect. So uh, the example in the IPG is if a player says, hey, is this card, is this Ancestral Recall legal in my modern event? And the mm-hmm. judge is like, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. It's got a new frame. It does. <laughs> All right. Well, Jared. Thank you again for being on. We're gonna we're gonna cut you loose here in a second. Uh, before we do, do you have any contact information or anything like that? I know you have a Twitter, but I don't think you I, use it. I am not a huge tweeter. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but uh, just at Jared Silva on Twitter, it's pretty simple. Not all that imaginative, but uh, pretty easy to get a hold of. Pretty easy to find on Facebook and Jared Silva Gmail dot com. So I, it's uh, all pretty by the book, pretty standard. All right, great. All right, well, we're going to let you go. Congratulations again. Thank you for being right, on thank again. Thank you very much, guys. It's good being on. Hey, so, CJ. Hey, how about them emails? How about them mailbag? Oh, we need to get Jared to say mailbag. Well, and if he's not going to be yeah, part, he's not of, the be part of the mail, then it's, he no. doesn't need to. How about this? Well, I guess we're soloing it since Jared didn't want to say mailbag in a funny voice. You know, he gets all L4 and then suddenly decides to just, you know, oh, I can't be all silly and stuff. Is that our, is that our guess, transition? What? <laughs> it was until you ruined it by throwing brakes but on it. But the beautiful like thing is I can just edit out by ruining it. You do have that power. Yes, I do. You? Hey, 
hey, I'm never wrong in this podcast, and every mistake that Dunks and Prillivan make is put in a blooper reel at the end. Mwahaha. Yep. All right. Hey, so, from Tim Sargent, we have an email. That, that says... Terrible segue. Wait, why don't we fix your original segue? I think we had it. I don't like any of these. What did you say the first time? Say that again, and then we'll go into it. I don't know what I said. The, it's gone. Yeah, it was Love. lost. And now this new moment is lost. It's now you, you've you just ruined All right. it. Just not interrupt and just go no, with the flow. Because it's going to edit awkwardly if you don't actually mention that we're going into the mail segment and not... If you, mail segment! <laughs> All right, go. Duff go. Decree. It's all you. Uh, I doth decree that the mail segment has begun. Let's do it. Okay. So wait, are we starting the mail yes, segment? Yes, we're starting now? the mail segment now. <laughs> now. Not, not three minutes ago when I tried to start the mail segment, but, but right now. From so, Tim, so Mr. Sargent has, a, has Mr. an email for us. Mr. Sargent, and I really wish I could read this in like the, the, the voice of the guy from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Hey there, maggots! This question's about detention sphere. Does it exile both tokens made by worm coil engine? They are both called worm, but have different abilities. I didn't know they stacked <laughs> that high. I don't. He didn't actually say that. He said thanks, Tim from North I Carolina. Know if you swear on this show. We, we haven't yet. <laughs> we haven't yet. Uh, but thanks to the power of editing, we still haven't. <laughs> <laughs> right, CJ? Right. It's gonna be one of those episodes. You mean it has been one of those episodes? Look, we've, so got, we've, got, we've got six emails in a half an hour, right? Yep. Okay. So, so, question about detention sphere. Does it exile both tokens made by worm coil engine? They are both called worm. So, detention sphere. What's cool about detention sphere is detention sphere reads, when detention sphere enters the battlefield, you may exile, target non-land permanent, not named detention sphere, and all other permanents with the same name as that permanent. So, the question is, are the worm tokens, what's the name of those worm I want to guess. Ooh. I think it's worm. You think yes. it's worm? Yes. Jess, what do you say? Is it worm? It's absolutely worm. Well, wait. Absolutely worm and worm are different names. Okay. Absolutely. The name is worm. <laughs> Thought I had you on a technicality there for a second. Um, yes, that is correct. Whenever a ability makes a token, okay, if it does, if the ability does not specifically give it a name, then the token's name is the same as its creature types. So if it creates a worm token, its name as worm. Yep. So for as a as a counterexample, uh, Dark Depths makes a token named Laret Sage. Laret Mage. Yes. And Tulsimir Wolfblood has tapped to put a two-two green and white wolf creature token named Volja onto the battlefield. Volja. And Tuck Tuck the Explorer makes a Tuck Tuck the Returned token. Tuck tuck. Tuck, 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 I see that as my dog. He loved it. <laughs> yes. So, Tim, the answer to your question, yes, they can get both of those worms, those nasty, nasty little worms. Great. Let's go on to the next question from Matt. Matt with Matt. no last name. He says, hey, I enjoy your podcast, especially the rules question and answer segments. Yeah, great. That's this segment. Yeah. I have a couple of rules yeah. questions for you. He asks, I have a Thrag Tusk, a Centaur Healer, and the enchantment Death's Presence. Ooh, let's go talk about some of these cards. Centaur Healer, when it enters the battlefield, you gain three life. Thrag Tusk is, uh, enters the battlefield, you gain five life. When it leaves the battlefield, you put a 3-3 beast token on the battlefield. And Death's Presence reads, whenever creature you control dies, put X plus one plus one counters on target creature you control, where X is the power of the creature that died. He has all these things in play. His opponent casts Supreme Verdict, which is that new Wrath of God. 
When Thraktus dies, I get a beast token. Can I place the three plus one plus one counters from the death of the centaur healer on my beast token? Also, if my opponent casts Terminus, would the result be the same? Is placing creatures on the bottom of my library considered death? So did you guys get that question? I did. There's a lot of cards. Yeah, there's a lot of cards. Yeah, it's pretty... What is this, pretty... like an, this is like an L2 test question? What is yeah. this? Include Oracle text in these cards, please, or in these questions, please. I just read everything. No, you don't, you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't really have to. Matt. Uh, so, uh, I mean, the first thing is I want to address the, the last part okay. of the question is that no, going to the bottom of your library is not the same as dying. So, so the, the interesting thing here is that you'll still, however, get the beast from Thrag Tusk because Thrag Tusk doesn't care about dying. It only cares about leaving the battlefield. So that's the one really good thing there about <laughs> you don't have to go to the graveyard you just have to go away yeah. <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to go but you can't stay here so um, now that just took the easy part brian you want to take the harder part <laughs> oh, oh okay so here's i jumped on that one <laughs> when thrag tusk dies or leaves play or you know last call and he's got to go somewhere bottom um, let's say when he dies, two triggers are going to happen. The get a dude trigger and the, uh, put X, uh, X plus one plus ones on target creature you control trigger from death's presence. So both of those triggers are going to go on the stack. Now you get to choose whichever order they go on the stack, but when they do go on the stack, you have to choose target for death's presence. Okay. And the beast token isn't in play yet. So you can't pick it. Boo. What? Do you disagree? No, I, that's sad. I would, I would like to have a 660. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. It sounded like you were disagreeing. It sounded like, yeah, I was no, like, wait I, a second. Did I miss something? Wait a tick. Did I misread that card? No, oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> like, granted, I'm just going off a of Thrag Tusk from memory yeah. here. I'm not, no, like, no, you got it. But okay. Well, then. A 66 beast is better than a 33 beast. True. You can math. Um, so yeah, so both triggers go on the stack. When it goes on the stack, you have to pick a target. And so it's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm stacking them, so I should be able to order it so I get the beast before I get the counters. Well, yes, you can order it so you get the beast before you get the counters, but there's no way to order it so that you can get the counters on the beast. You may not have your cake and eat it too. I like our next question. It comes from Alex from, ooh, London, foggy London town. He says he, he was watching a, uh, a video of Luis Scott Vargas on ChannelFireball.com, plugs, and he was playing uh, this deck. It doesn't matter what. Uh, the situation is the opponent had a Thalia out, and Thalia says non-creature spells cost one more to cast. Luis had engineered explosives in hand. What Luis wanted was to have two counters on engineered explosives. Now, engineered explosives reads it has a mana cost of X, and it has sunburst. So it comes into play with a charge counter on it for each color of mana used to pay its cost. And then it has, you know, an ability, but that's not really relevant. The, the relevant part here is that we want this thing to come into play with two counters on it. Now, what ended up happening was uh, Luis ended up ca- setting X to two for this spell when he cast it and then had to pay the one additional mana for Thalia. So he ended up paying three mana. He ended up paying uh, blue, blue, white. Alex's question is, could he have gotten by by saying X is one mana and then using Thalia's extra additional one mana to only play you uh, blue, white and get two counters on this expo- engineered explosives? Would that have worked? So I want to make sure I understand. Uh, we're talking about the sunburst ability, yeah. right? So it gets a counter equal to the number of 
colors used to pay its costs, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yep. It, then I think that that would have worked just fine. Like, I don't see a reason that that would not. It, it costs one more. Uh, so that actually becomes part of the cost when you determine the total cost before activating uh, mana abilities. Um, yep. I think. I think no, that's, that's how it works. That's right. No, that's right. Yeah. That's it. So it, it, when I read this, my, my, my first thought was, that's really cool. Yeah, mine too. I, I think it's a cool question. I, I never, it's just one of those minor technical plays you can make that very rarely comes up, but sometimes it does. Our next question comes from Patrick Volberger, Volberger from Florida. So he's referencing, uh, when we were talking about Firemind's foresight and split cards, and we talked about how split cards interact with Dark Confidant. As a quick reminder, if you reveal a card with converted mana costs two and five, which I think is boom bust maybe you're going to lose seven total life with dark confidant so his question is nala controls exquisite blood and a johnny's pride mate with zero counters on it andy controls dark confidant during andy's upkeep he reveals boom bust for his dark confidant trigger if each player passes priority until the second blah 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 how many counters does the pride mate get so the effective question is here is uh, exquisite blood is whenever an opponent loses life you gain that much life and a johnny's pride mate pride mate is whenever you gain life you may put a plus one plus one counter on a johnny's pride mate dark confidant controlled by the opponent is making the opponent lose life he's basically asking are we losing two and five life as two separate events so that the pride mate will end up triggering twice or is it one life, life loss event? And uh, I thought that was kind of a hard question. I had to go consult with the elders to be sure that there was no um, it's, to it. It's, you know, in this case, yes, it's looking at the converted mana cost of, of technically two mm-hmm. cards, right? But we are losing the life as one event, and it, it counts it as one, is my understanding. It's, it's my belief that you would only lose life once in that situation. Yeah, and that's absolutely correct, because Dark Confidant reads, uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library and put that card in your hand. You lose life equal to its converted mana cost. So there's only one life loss event here, right? I mean, it says you lose life. and only says those words once. So there's one life loss event, so we're going to have one exclusive blood trigger, which will lead to one Ajani's mate trigger. But, Patrick, I appreciate your question. He had a uh, follow-up mail saying that he believes CR Rule 118.9 explains this, but I'm not going to read CR rules on this podcast. But if oh come if on, listeners want to. You realize the CR rules is redundant, right? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> like people will say ATM machine. Or PIN number. PIN number. Let's, let's all hush up. Hey, what was this? What was what was the rule that we were? What was the, what was the rule that we were supposed to be? The CR rule, the the, the comprehensive CR. Some triggered rule? abilities are written whenever a player gains life. Such abilities are treated as though they are written whenever a source causes a player to gain life. If a player gains zero life, no life gain event has occurred, and these abilities won't trigger. Uh, that sure, that's related somehow. Sure, yeah, we'll just it's, say that. I trust Patrick. Our next question. Hey, yes. Uh, Nothing. Did you want to read? What's the next question? Quick, before Brian thinks of something to okay. say. Oh. <laughs> this one's a long one. Wow, this one's a long one. From wow. Jeff. So he says, hello, Judge Cast. I am a huge fan of the show since a friend showed it to me a month or so ago, and I had a quick few questions about becoming a judge. So I'll summarize his email here. His uh, first main question was, how how should I know if I should become a judge? Which uh, I, I, I kind of took as kind of a, do you want to be a judge? You know, yeah, that's 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 like I think if you're asking that question, the answer yeah, is yeah, I think it is. 
un- unless you're you're like you know how do I know I want to be a judge? I enjoy defrauding small children. <laughs> then the answer probably no, no, no. You shouldn't. I think I want to be a judge because I'll learn how to cheat very well. And it's like, uh, I guess not. Nobody will suspect me if I'm a judge. And, and the other the other part of that is uh, uh, if if you become a judge, it's not like they, we put some shackles on you and you can't ever leave, you know? I mean, if you become a judge and you don't like it, mm, just quit judging. It's not the end of the world. Uh, his next issue was that he didn't know anyone in his area and he wasn't sure uh, how to get in contact with that with anyone that could help him become a judge. So that one's pretty easy. You just contact your regional coordinator or actually did he say what areas he's in yeah he did i just wasn't reading phoenix, it phoenix arizona phoenix arizona okay so who is his regional coordinator then? Is, that, is that kevin it's sean really we have arizona too apparently because i just looked it up or i wouldn't know here's the here's the funny thing there's other states in that region than california i know it's weird right like i know but... that we have like a judge in nevada uh and and maybe some yeah, I actually thought we just had California and Nevada. I didn't know we had Arizona as well. And those of us on Judge List are very aware of the judges in California. Oh, let's not yeah. get into that. Oh, oh. So, as a side note, if you if you feel like somebody has done something wrong on coverage, don't post it on the Judge List. Or Reddit. Or, oh, my God. Or Facebook. Yeah. His final question is one I don't think we want to get into too deeply on JudgeCast, but he asks... Um, not that it's not that it would uh, change his decision whether or not to judge, but he was curious about what kind of compensation judges get. And I, I think the easy answer to this is it's heavily dependent on what kind of event you're working and who the TO for that event is. So I don't, I don't want to sit here and give out some hard no, there, I mean, there's, rules. There's no there's no standard. There is none. Yeah, it's it's really whatever whatever you work whatever you work out with the TO. Uh, you know, for a, for a GPT, for a really large GPT, I've gotten a box with like, for like 57 players. Uh, for a small GPT, I got lunch and tolls. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's, it, it's really, really dependent on, on just what you're able to work out with them. And, and don't be scared to ask. That's, that's another thing that that judges especially judges that start out they have a real hard time actually starting to get compensated because when it starts out they just kind of like hey i just want the experience let me judge for free mm-hmm. you know yeah, i'll do yeah. anything just let me let me do this thing and yeah. after you do it, eh, you should that's a thing that happens it is a thing that happens and it's unfortunate but that 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 is a way that judges feel that they have to do to get a foot in their door. But I mean, judging is a skilled labor. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah. One more email. Oh, one more email. Actually, I want to mention real quick is we did do a, an episode about becoming a judge. Well, mostly about becoming a judge. That was episode number 40 where we had John Lauks on. So for people interested in becoming a judge, that might be a good one to listen to. This, this is absolutely true. This final mail comes from Lincoln from Sydney, Australia. You can name people Lincoln outside of the U.S. That should be illegal. Um, why would it be legal illegal anywhere outside of the U.S.? Because Lincoln should be our name. That's like that's America. That's America. That's America. And I don't think I've ever heard you say something so like you know anti-non-American. American. Like, what's the word? I just said something there? American. No, you said something. Isolationist, I guess. Like, not even isolationist. Just weird. <laughs> so Lincoln's question is, he says, uh, to summarize all this, the basic event is that one player 
says that his opponent used Jace the Mind Sculptor's brainstorm ability in their first main, while the the player who owns the Jace the Mind Sculptor says that he did not use the ability in his first main phase. So where we are is we're in the second main phase, and they disagree on whether or not the ability's been used. And Lincoln's question is, how do you handle that? And he actually asks, is it through investigation? Yes, that is going to be through investigation. How do you... (laughs) Does anyone want to even try to tackle something like this? Uh, so normally you're gonna like, probably ask questions you, like, "Have have you been using Jace before combat or after combat every time?" Mm-hmm. You know, and if it's like, "Oh, well, I've been doing it before," and it's like, "Well, why did you do it differently this time?" Ask why questions, and you know, questions that that aren't just yes or no. Is, okay, is probably probably how how I would go about doing it. Is is can I establish a pattern of how they've used, uh, how he's used Jace, you know, maybe away from the table, what cards have you put back, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and just, and just see if either A, you know, he's lying, B, jog some memory, that kind of stuff. So in the strange land where this call doesn't end with me disqualifying one of these two players, <laughs> um, then we just have a situation where they're, they're, one of them is mistaken. So yeah, we ask those questions about when has this been used before? What turn is it? How many times have you used it? How many cards do you currently have? Uh, all that jazz, you know. Yeah, you, you touched on, on one point I want to make is, is, is it possible at all to determine how many cards in hand he should have this turn, depending on whether or not he brainstormed? That's that's one track you can go down. I mean, generally, maybe. Yeah, generally it's probably not possible, but I'm just saying it, it could be if he had no cards in hand and he has one now. You know, you know he brainstormed. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically this is this is a very heavy. You have to be there situation, and uh, you're just gonna have to investigate and, and see what you can get. Does anyone have anything else they want to add? To uh, a lot of a lot of these a lot of these type of problems are actually really really kind of tough because. We can, we can talk about the type of questions, but it, it really quickly becomes a decision tree because you're going to talk to the person that he, you know, maybe he's got some type of body language that pushes you in asking questions in a certain direction, or maybe, maybe the, the opponent just seems really skeezy, you know, and, and you get a, you get a vibe in, in another direction. So it's a lot of it is you, you have to be there. And this is kind of one of the hard things that, to, to, to teach judges because it's so highly variable depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I, I, it seems kind of like a cop out, but there is no, if there was a guide to a, a surefire way to tell when somebody's lying or what happened when you weren't there, our legal system would probably be a lot better than <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Uh, he also has a suggestion for a show topic, but I don't think it's deep enough for us to actually have a whole topic about it. So let's just discuss it right now. He just wants to know what is the difference between targeting an object or player and choosing an object or player. Oh, is this that this it's that video right where that guy like argued for half an hour? Uh, yes, actually that was <laughs> that was that was his main his main crooks of the topic. That was one of them. Yeah. Wow. Um. So. Targeting is, has a special, has a special meaning in the rules. Okay. Targeting is basically choosing plus plus. Yeah. I like um, that. It's, it's, you are choosing some, now normally when you choose something, it's just on resolution. Choose a color. So I cast the spell. I don't actually have to choose the color until the spell resolves. Okay. You know, choose a creature. I don't have to choose that creature until the spell resolves. 
And then it says, you know, like, sacri- you know, choose a creature, sacrifice that creature. Great. You don't know what I'm going to do until the spell resolves. Destroy target creature. I guess choose a creature, sacrifice it. You know, that creature's controller sacrifices it, whatever. Uh, destroy target creature. That, the creature has to be there when both the spell is put on the stack and, again, when the spell resolves. Okay. Uh, things like, uh, hexproof and shroud interact with, with targeting, you know, by preventing it mm-hmm. and protection uh, and protection and stuff like that. So it's, it's really just a special word. Target is a special word that has additional rules meaning. Uh, it interacts with certain abilities differently. It, it triggers with certain things. So to use a, a, a more pointed example, we, when you cast a spell that requires you to target something, you have to declare that target while you're casting the spell. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're casting a spell that asks you to choose something, you don't have to make that choice until the spell is already resolving. Uh, and, and this is important because it gives. It, it, I think, as Brian already mentioned, it gives information to your opponent. But if that target is no longer there when the spell tries to resolve, the spell may not resolve depending on how many targets. It has. But yeah, so so everything Brian said is true, but that's the, I think the crux of this situation is the difference between targeting and and I actually haven't seen this entire video y'all are talking about, so maybe I'm missing the point. Uh, I don't think this is actually related to the video, but he it, well the the probably not, but the the video is there. There's a guy who like basically the it's it's kind of funny because he redefines targeting to mean choosing. Okay, and then proceeds to explain how the entire rules of the game break down because of this, or or maybe when you say choosing, you're really targeting one or he goes he goes one way or the other, yeah. and when he makes that change, he then immediately goes and the entire rule system collapses. Yeah, he and magic magic is no good. His because of this is that magic doesn't use proper grammar. Uh, one of my favorite examples he uses is time vault. Which, uh, says, you know, Time Vault doesn't untap during your untap step, and you can, uh, if you would begin your turn while Time Vault is tapped, you may skip that turn instead if you do untap Time Vault. And that's all fine, and people have used, uh, Voltaic Key to untap it instead, you know, and you can get extra turns that way. He def- defines something as the Time Vault problem, and it took me forever to figure out what he was talking about until I read the actual text printed on Time Vault, which says, uh, to untap it, you must skip a turn. That's what it says. So he believes that all magic cards should use exactly what's printed on them. Like that should never change. And then they should follow that grammatically. So his, you know, his opinion is it's impossible to use Voltaic Key on Time Vault and that's just broken and all this other stuff. I don't know why we've discussed this video for two minutes though, because it's awful and it's not helpful to anyone. <laughs> and unless anyone has anything else to say about Lincoln's email, I think we should wrap this bad boy up. I think. Okay, if you listeners out there would like to contact us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast, and you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. I want to give thanks again to our very special guest, Jared Silva, for being on. For all of us here at JudgeCast, thank you for listening. My name's Cedar Schrader. I keep it fun. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prillman. I keep it chronological. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs>During the email section of the show, we had an interesting discussion about a ruling Brian made at States. However, we wanted to get Jared's opinion on the discussion as well. 
We were able to grab Jared later, so the following is our original discussion, followed by the same discussion when we were able to get Jared on. Okay. Did, hey, yes. CJ, last episode, since uh, I don't really remember it all that well, um, did I talk about the Thalia uh, uh, Bonfire of the Damned call from uh, from Florida No, I don't States? think you did. Okay, so let me ask you guys Actually, this question here. Florida so this, States hadn't happened yet. It hadn't? Maybe it just happened. <laughs> okay, so here, here, here was the particular, uh, here was the particular judge call. It's the beginning of turn three. So active player, uh, has only two lands in play. Okay, he does untap upkeep, no upkeep effects. He goes to draw his card, reveals, uh, bonfire, and taps both of his lands, his two lands, uh, a mountain and something else. It's not really relevant. And goes, bonfire your dudes. Mm-hmm. Okay, his opponent, then taps with his finger, not taps his turn sideways, but tap, 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 his Thalia. Okay. Okay, so he tapped two land, bonfire your dudes, uh, his opponent points out a Thalia, in which case they discuss what what just happened, and they call a judge. Okay. okay? His opponent is saying that he bonfired for zero, and the guy who cast the bonfire doesn't really like that. Yeah, I'm shocked. Well, yeah. Well, no, actually, you're bonfired. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Uh, this is an interesting question. I don't. I've never really considered it. My my gut reaction right now on the podcast is uh, everything he did was legal. I mean, you're technically supposed to say what X is, but we're you know we consider um, what is it X to be everything in your pool if you don't say what X is. And in this case, everything in the pool was zero. Okay. Jess, do you have a different opinion? Well, the first question I want to ask, what, what kind of event is this? It's state, so it's a competitive REL event. Okay, so this is a state's event. It's a competitive REL event. So he taps three lands. No, two. Or uh, two lands, I'm sorry. To, oh, he's, he's miracling it. Okay. Yes. So he taps two lands and says bonfire, and the opponent taps the Thalia? Uh, just so, like tap, points it out after he's like, bonfire your dudes. And the, he's just like, did you pay the extra one? Where he okay. just like points out the Thalia. I'm not, I'm not, uh, since I, I didn't, I wasn't there initially, I'm not 100% clear on what the verbal between them is, but okay. bonf- Bonfire Your Dudes was the statement, cause the guy, cause the non-active player had two, uh, two dudes out. Okay. Dudes being a, a colloquial term for creatures. Right. Well, in this case, I'm, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty clear that his intention was to cast it with an X of one. Like, that's extremely obvious to me. So he's paid an incorrect cost. Like, he tried to cast Bonfire for one. Uh, he can't because they make, it costs more than that because of Thalia. Uh, so I mean, I think, I think this is a game rules violation and we can back it up. Yeah. And that is how it ended up being ruled was the second thing you do in casting a spell before you declare targets, before you pay costs or anything like that is, is declaring a value of X and Based on the way this went down, I don't think you can argue. I don't think anybody would argue that he declared any value other than one. Right. Implicitly. He didn't declare a value at all. Sure, but did he declare zero? I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're making the, if you're making the argument that because he didn't declare something, he declared zero, well, that's just as valid as saying that he declared one. Like, right? Well, no, I mean, I see his point because we have a shortcut. We have a shortcut for it. But in this, in this, in this situation, I think the, the statement, bonfire your guys, bonfire your dudes, your creatures, whatever, 
um, makes it very clear what he is trying to do. So let me, you know, like, so if I, if I said, for example, you know, if, if I said, I'm going to bonfire all of your guys, you know, that that's, and your guys were bigger than one toughness and I tapped enough mana that would normally kill them. If you didn't have a Thalia, it would be really hard for you to argue that, uh, that I was, ta- I, I was paying an X of less than, than, uh, uh, what was necessary to kill your guys minus the Thalia. Like, it's clear that I have forgotten about Thalia in yeah. this situation. In, in a lot of ways, it, it, it almost strikes me as, and, and I know it's not an exact analog, but it, it's like, hey, I cast one of those, one of those discard spells that can target a player. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like, and I go like, yeah, cast, was it, can Thought Seize target a player? Or is that just opponent? Uh, I believe it can target a player. Okay. So I go, Thought Seize, you know, Thought Seize you, or, you know, Thought Seize, and I gesture at you, and then you point to the thing, something that gives you hexproof or shroud, and you then immediately go like, oh, well, you started to cast it, guess you gotta target yourself, wah ha ha. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I realize it's not a hundred percent, it's not a hundred percent analog, but in this particular case is the guy's choice was clear. You know, he might, he might have shortcutted the announcement, but it's, it's very obvious. And I don't think even the opponent would argue that it's like, no, nah, man, he, he bonfired for zero. He knew exactly what he was doing by doing that. So let me read the shortcut. Just so everyone's on the same page. It just says, if a player casts a spell or activates an ability with X in its mana cost without specifying the value of X, it is assumed to be for all mana currently available in his or her pool. So, I'd say right now, I, I, I just disagree with you guys. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at this. When is, when is X determined? If he said bonfire for one, yeah, sure, but. Okay, so here's the, here's the problem. He also didn't state anything about the cost of the spell. Like, we didn't determine the total cost of the spell. Right. Like, you're not going to argue that, you know, he's... Okay, so let's say uh, I cast... Oh, boy, that, that's going to just lead to more arguments. <laughs> um, if I... Let's say that I cast, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of an X spell that's also good with this example, and I can't think of one off the top of my head. But uh, the point being that it's clear that the problem here is not is not that a misunderstanding of X, it's forgetting about Thalia existing. And I think it's not fair to either player to say, oh, well, X is zero for a couple of reasons. Uh, the, most importantly, I kind of feel like the player is trying to take advantage of a game rules violation to, to, to gain an advantage here, right? Like, um, if he's, if he's like, oh, you forgot about Thalia and he goes, oh, okay. And pays one more. Most of the time players are okay with that. You know, it's, it's very difficult to say. You know, okay. So let me ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. CJ, if, if I, if let's say I'm this player that casts a uh, bonfire. Yeah. Right. And I call a judge and say, judge, I just cast bonfire. I paid two mana for it. Uh, I forgot to pay for Thalia. What do I do? Did he, uh, I mean, when you announced it, did you say you were casting it for two? Well, no, but I forgot to pay for Thalia. I mean, it was clear that I was casting it for, for one X because all of his creatures are one ones. I don't know. <laughs> I have a hard time because I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but so in, in, in my, in my opinion, okay. It's he didn't declare a value for X. Yeah. Okay. I wish we had no four on right uh, now to discuss this. With so, you. so there you're right. You're right. You're right. He didn't declare value for X. We assume that it's everything in his pool. Everything in his pool is one because he forgot about Thalia and didn't pay it. I could see that argument. Yep. Hey, our next mail comes from Ad- <laughs> <laughs> Change the subject. Uh, Patrick. Patrick. Pa- Patrick. So Patrick wants to know about Thalia and Bonfire. What? I am. <laughs> Patrick is a level. Patrick actually worked states. 
awesome you segue. Said Patrick like eight times. Patrick, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. He calls you Mr. Prilliman. See, I use a judge's gavel noise to imply a transition is happening because we're judges. Do you get it? Anyway, this next part is the same discussion with Jared. We bring it to you already in progress. I'm somewhat of a hard ass when it comes to making mistakes like that because there is nothing in there that's illegal. Like You can bonfire for zero, but that's why communication is so important. If you say bonfire for one, you're clearly doing it wrong. Um, bonfire your dudes. Like Yes, that's what bonfire does, but uh, I don't know. I like... <laughs> That's one of those. I mean, that's technically not it's even what Bonfire does. It targets a player, but yeah, but I it kills the guys. Every right, once yeah. in a while, it kills the person, but usually it kills guys. Well, that's uh, kind of the thing is that you know you wouldn't say Bonfire your dudes without the implication that it was killing those guys. Yeah, or it was going to hurt them in some form or fashion. This this all sounds so familiar I, to me. <laughs> it's. It's very clear what someone wants to do here. However, right. it's also pretty clear what they did. And okay. so they revealed for the miracle trigger, they paid X and one for, for the miracle. And the miracle cost is red X and Talia increases it by one. And so paying red and one is going to bonfire for zero. So all of the steps that they took were perfectly legal and in my opinion, perfectly clear. The only thing that's not happening here is he's not getting the outcome that he wants, but that's because he wasn't paying attention. Yeah, so, can I ask you a, a follow-up to this? Sure. Is What if he called a judge, and when he called a judge, he said something to the effect of, judge, I cast bonfire, but forgot to pay for Thalia. I, like, like you, in my opinion, you can't forget to pay for Thalia. We have a shortcut okay. that says you are... When you when you tap all your lands for an X, you are paying all of that towards the X. Right. And so essentially it's red, one for Thalia, X. And so I, all of the steps are clear. If there's ambiguity in there somewhere, it's it's much easier to argue that you should be you know, saying, sure, you know, take that back. But, you know, all of the steps, this is one of those where it feels like someone made a mistake. Now, the question then becomes, you know, at what point is it actually a mistake? And I, I draw that line pretty early at a competitive REL event. Like you've, if you want to play at an event like a PTQ or a Grand Prix or something along those lines, you're expected to be paying attention and understand the situation. And if you make an actual error and do something illegal, then we will fix it. But I don't see anything illegal happening here. Uh, I'll, I'll say, CJ shared your opinion. Uh, yep. Jess, Jess and I disagreed mm-hmm. uh, with that. Our our stance was that the situation the situation looked like he was trying to pay for a three mana spell or a spell that costs three with two mana. Okay, because X is X is determined before additional costs are. I felt I felt that but, what he said was sufficient to indicate that he was trying to cast it with an X of one. Right. I, like, of course, he was trying to cast it with an X of one. Well, right? can you can you cast can you cast a spell with an X of something different than what you're intending? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, you can. And, like, He's would right. We, would yeah. we be, oh, yeah. be having this discussion if it was, you know, bonfire for two, but there's a Thalia on the board, and so it's going to be for one? I, like, that's the question that I have. Like, is it because the bonfire is not doing anything? You know, if this is something where he miracles and he's got, uh, you know, miracle your, you know, bonfire your team and he taps six lands and the guy goes, well, I guess my dragon's going to survive because there's a Talia. Right. Like, does that change your answer? Because if that changes your answer, then you need to re-examine it. Hmm. Bill, that's a very good point. I, I can't say I disagree with you. I, and, and this is a hard one. It's, it's one of those things where you're going to find people who come down on both sides of it. And this is a, a very core issue for judges. Do you believe that a player's intent and what they are trying to do is more or less important than the actions that they took and the and what the results of those actions should be. I mean, I think part of that depends on uh, what REL we're at, honestly. Oh, absolutely. And and like, honestly, I, I'm almost always going to be talking about competitive REL because right. my answer at regular REL is just fix it. Like it's it it is clear to me what he's trying to do. But if you take a set of actions that do something else, I'm not going to just give you what you're trying to do. That's true. Like if you if you lightning bolt a Tarmogoyf and the lightning bolt's going to be the fourth thing, I'm not giving you the lightning bolt back because it's not going to kill the Tarmogoyf. You know, at some Ooh. point, your understanding of the game is going if it's poor, if you don't understand the rules, it's going to come up and bite you. And hopefully you learn from that and don't do it again. But, you know, we can't just say, oh, the rules aren't going to apply because you didn't understand. All right. <laughs> well, on that note, I think uh, we're probably going to be, like, I know I'm probably going to get going soon, uh, okay. but I wanted to thank you, Jared, for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. All the stuff you talked about has been very good. You're a very concise person, so that's awesome <laughs> to hear you speak on these. So thank, thank you. you very much.